Well, good morning. That was enthusiastic. Good morning. I do want to say before we begin, um, you know, not that he was the loudest here this morning, but I was blessed by you guys this morning, your worship team. Um, I know it's always um, a lot of work to do what you guys do, and and, uh, God has gifted you in a way that is blessing this church, so thank you. Um, I have, uh, this is my second week here. Um, Elliot and I met this week over lunch, and he told me all the things that I did wrong. So hopefully, <laughs> just kidding, he didn't say that. Uh, it's been a blessing. With, <laughs> it's been a blessing to uh, get to know him. Um, you know, Paul, I've, I've met briefly, but uh, just uh, to encourage you guys to encourage him. Uh, this has not been an easy year. Um, I know that um, the work that God is calling him to do is a sacrifice, uh, and he loves you guys dearly, as will Mike, the coming pastor. Uh, but I just want to make note of that as um, to, to encourage him to be a blessing to those that are uh, called to be in positions of authority here. Uh, so that's my spiel. With that, hear now God's holy and perfect word. Hebrews seven twenty three through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. As far the reading of God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy that allows us to even be here. Lord, we know that you sustain us, that every breath from our lungs, Lord, is due to you. You hold us together, you hold everything, every cell. And for all those that are sick, for all the churches that are meeting this morning that honor your name, that speak your word boldly and truthfully and correctly. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless them and their endeavors. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless this church, that each person here would see it as their duty to be in a position that is primed to reach this community. Lord, there have been many seasons of this church, and I know this has been a tough one, but now we are on the cusp of hope, and excitement. And so I pray, Lord, that you bless this church, you bless the leadership. Lord, so much prayers can be uttered in that fashion, but Lord, right now I ask that you would speak through me, that your Holy Spirit would uh, empower me to, to preach your word boldly. Even though there's a lot to go through here, Lord, I pray that they would forget all of my words and remember your words only. And let me decrease so that you would always be magnified and increased. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you guys have any heroes in life right now? Heroes, like maybe men or women you may know, maybe who may be in your life. I know um, more, many maybe sports figures who have maybe overcome certain things can be heroes. First responders are kind of my heroes to be, to, in some degree. I don't know, Anybody? Maybe you want to say one thing? No one wants to speak out loud, huh? Okay. Batman. Bat- okay. 
My question for you with Batman is, what is he doing for you right now? This is awkward. It's, a, it's an awkward statement. <laughs> Didn't really think Batman would be yelled out. But my question is, what are the heroes doing for you right now? It's good to think about and reflect upon because this morning I want to talk about the doctrine that is oftentimes overlooked and neglected when it comes to Christology, when it comes to the study of Christ. When we talk about Christ's intercession, we're talking about what Christ is actually doing right now. There has been incredible study and a recovery, I think, in the past few decades on the glory of what Christ did back in the day. His life, death, resurrection, and ascension to save me. But what about what he's doing right now? Now, this is at the heart of the Reformed tradition that this church and many other good churches adhere to. Right? It isn't about our understanding of salvation soteriologically, which is imperative, but at the heart of it, it is our current understanding and our current union with Christ right now. That's what separates us. For many of us, our understanding of Jesus is that he is uh, really not doing too much right now, maybe just praying. Everything that we need to be saved, we tend to think that he has already accomplished and done. That is not how the New Testament presents the work of Christ. We'll spend some time considering this, his heavenly intercession, not only because it's neglected today, but also because I think it's part of Christ's work that is uniquely reflective of his heart for us. Now, as a way of framing what intercession is and its present neglect, consider it in relation to the doctrine of justification. Now, hopefully you know this, but a ton has been written and preached and taught on this throughout the years. And this is as it should be, don't get me wrong. To be justified is to be declared righteous in the sight of God, fully legally exonerated into the divine court based entirely on what Jesus has done in our place. But our hearts are wired in such a way that we constantly drift from this moment-by-moment belief in this full exoneration. That heart resistance to complete acquittal before God based upon what Christ has done became codified in the medieval times and the Roman Catholic Church. The reformers, such as Luther and Calvin, recovered and rightly re-centralized the doctrine of justification. And every generation since then has been doing their best to rediscover this doctrine newly for themselves. It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity, this idea of doctrine of justification. It's not natural to us. The fact that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, not once we can add to what he's done, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. But justification, and I could preach on this for years, is largely a doctrine about what Christ has done in the past, rooted centrally in his death and resurrection. Romans 5.1 states, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died and rose again. Amen? Amen? And as we place our faith and trust in him, we are justified. For he died the death that we deserve to die. But what is he doing right now? See, we don't have to speculate. The Bible tells us. He is interceding for us. Justification is tied to what Christ did in the past. Intercession is what he's doing right now in the present. 
Think of it this way. The heart of Christ is a steady reality flowing throughout the history of time. It isn't as if his heart throbbed and ached for his people when he was here on earth, but somehow dissipated now that he's in heaven. It's not, if we're honest with ourselves, how do we view Christ right now? Let me ask you this question. What are the two times that Jesus wept? When he just was moved to tears, because for so many of us, we place the, the weeping for Jerusalem and the death of Lazarus when he wept there and his friend, and we do not place ourselves in that same category that Christ would actually weep for us in the midst of our struggles. That's too bold, we may say. Do not think that Christ would deign to kneel in the sand and draw a line before our accusers to protect us from harm, from being stoned like the woman caught in adultery. We somehow think that he is maybe too weak or too far removed from our situations that he would actually calm the storms that are raging in our lives. And remember, it's not as if the men in that boat, when he calmed the storm, were not afraid. It's not as if there wasn't a storm that they had to go through before he calmed it. But that's another sermon. But when we're starving right now, maybe spiritually, do we think that Christ is so far removed from his people that he would not feed us like the 5,000 or 7,000? His heart is drawn to his people now as it ever was. And the present manifestation of his heart for his people is his constant interceding for us on our behalf. Now, this is crazy. It's so amazing to think about. And I hope you understand how amazing it is, though I can't begin to really go into the depth of it in one message. But that's all I've given myself. So we'll try to get the heart of it, or the kernel of it. What is intercession? Now, there's some misconceptions here. A wrong view of this is that Jesus is simply praying for us. I hope they have a good day. I hope they get that parking spot they really want. Romans 8, 26 through 27, talk about the Spirit interceding for us in our weakness, who makes intercessions for us with groanings which words cannot utter. Incidentally, this does not talk about actual groanings, like some sort of caveman speech that I've heard in some churches. This is not a guttural noise. Notice it says that cannot be uttered, i.e. it cannot be spoken, so we should not try to do it. We'll move on. In general terms... It means that a third party comes between two others and makes a case for one on the behalf of the other. Think of a parent interceding to a teacher on behalf of a child for a grade, or an agent interceding for a sports franchise to a sports franchise on behalf of a, an athlete. What then does it mean for Christ to intercede for us? Who are the parties involved? Now, this is important to get. God the Father on the one hand, and we believers on the other. But why would we need Jesus to intercede for us? After all, haven't we been completely justified already? What is there for Christ to plead on our behalf? Hasn't he already done all that is needed to fully acquit us? In other words, does the doctrine of Christ's heavenly intercession mean that something was left incomplete in the atoning work of Christ. If we speak of the finished work of Christ on the cross, 
Does the doctrine of intercession suggest that the cross was actually left unfinished? The answer is that intercession applies what the atonement accomplished. Christ's present heavenly intercession on behalf of us is a reflection of the fullness and victory and completeness of his earthly work. Not a reflection of anything lacking in his earthly work. The atonement accomplished our salvation. Intercession is the moment-by-moment, the moment-by-moment application of that atoning work. It's so good. Now, in the past, Jesus did what he now talks about. In the present, Jesus talks about what he then did. This is why the New Testament weds justification and intercession. In Romans 8, 33-34, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Intercession is the constant hitting of the refresh button in our lives. And he does this, not once, not twice, but to the uttermost. Let's press a little deeper. Christ's intercession reflects how profoundly personal our rescue is. If we knew about Christ's death and resurrection, but not his intercession, we would be tempted to view our salvation in only formulaic terms. Like some sort of equation. I would feel more, it would feel more mechanical than is true to who Christ actually is. His interceding for us reflects his heart for us. The same heart that carried him through life and down into death on behalf of his people. And that's the same heart that has now manifests itself continually in constant pleading for us and rem- reminding and prevailing upon his father to always welcome us. This does not mean that the father is reluctant to embrace us, though, or that the son has a more loving disposition towards his people than the father does. The atoning work of the son was something the father and the son delightedly agreed together in eternity past. The son's intercession does, intercession does not reflect the coolness of the father, but the sheer warmth of the son and reflect upon that. That's why we magnify Christ. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings. We want to magnify who Christ is. And we want to celebrate and honor his name. We want to glorify him in all that we do and enjoy him. It's not this austere thing. Christ does not intercede because the Father's heart is tepid towards us, but because the Son's heart is so full towards us. But the Father's own deepest delight is to say yes to Christ and his pleading on our behalf precisely because of how beautiful and glorious Jesus is. We are clothed in the very blood of Christ now. Think of an older brother cheering on his younger brother at a track meet. Even if in that final run, right, that final stretch, the younger brother is far away and ahead and will certainly win the race. Does the older brother sit back, quiet, complacently satisfied? I certainly hope not. Not at all. He's yelling at the top of his lungs, go, go, go. 
right? Exclamations of encouragement, of affirmation, of celebration, of victory, of solidarity. Go, you can do it. He cannot be quieted. That's what Christ... So with our brother in Christ. John Bunyan wrote a whole book on Christ's heavenly intercession called Christ, a Complete Savior. And at one point he explains how the doctrine of intercession is a matter of Christ's heart. See, there's an objective side to our salvation which Bunyan puts in terms of justification. He says, God justifies us, not either by giving laws unto us or by becoming our example or by our following of him in any sense, but by his blood shed for us. He justifies by bestowing upon us, not by expecting from us. But added to this objective side of the gospel is a subjective reality in which Bunyan says this, as you must know and how men are justified by him, so you must know the readiness that is in him to receive and to do for those what they need to come unto God by him. Suppose his merits were completely efficacious. Yet if it could be proved that there is a loathness in him, that these merits should be bestowed upon the coming ones, there would be but few adventure to wait upon him. But now, as he is full, he is free. Nothing pleases him better than to give what he has away, than to bestow it upon the poor and needy. Even if we believe fully in the doctrine of justification, and we knew all of our sins were totally forgiven, we would not come to Christ gladly if he was an austere Savior. We have to understand his heart in heaven for us. His posture right now in heaven, his disposition, his deepest desire is to pour his heart out on our behalf before the Father. I mean, that's amazing. That's Jesus whom we're talking about. The intercession of Christ is his heart connecting our heart to the Father's heart. The text which Bunyan based Christ a complete Savior on was Hebrews 7.25. It's perhaps the key verse of all the New Testament and the doctrine of intercession. And after reflecting on Christ's abiding, permanent priesthood, the writer concludes, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The phrase, to the uttermost, is one Greek word, pantelis, It's a word denoting comprehensiveness, completeness, fullness, exhaustive wholeness. The only other place where it is used in the New Testament is Luke chapter 13. Let me read this. Now he was teaching, verse 10, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said immediately she was made straight And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. See, this describes a woman who could not stand up straight all the way and in no way could raise herself up. That question, and in no way, is this completeness. There's absolutely no way she could do anything for her situation. But my question is, did Jesus manifest his love to her by straightening her up, by doing the impossible because he loved her more than maybe some of us? Because that's just how we feel when we forget about all that he has done. My 16-year-old is an amazing young man. I don't want to speak negatively about him, but he's 16. His friends may not be. But he loves to stay out way too late. 
and somehow forget that we told him to be home at a certain time and come straggling in whenever he feels like it. Am I frustrated? Perhaps. I might need counseling, but that's okay. But last night, literally, he came home from my office. Now, I have a little bit of an 80s arcade in my office because I have issues. But um, at 1 a.m., he comes home. That's pretty late. It's way later than we said. And outside, so my wife and I are kind of like, where is he? And we didn't see him in the house. The door, the front door is wide open. That's sweet. So I run out there, and there's all these police cars and fire engines. This happened last night, right? The smells were kind of weird. It was all this gasoline-type smells, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) I was so scared. It wasn't them. He comes in. He's like, Dad, you won't believe what happened. I'm like, I could care less about what happened. I just care that you're okay. And then I disciplined him, (laughs) because that's what I do. He received my discipline for sure, and in the course of it, he called out to me at that time that I loved his sister more than him. Because I never get mad at her like that. Well, she doesn't do anything close to what he does, so of course I love her more. No, I'm joking. I shouldn't even joke about that, but... Just because Noah receives my discipline doesn't mean I don't love him. If anything, it proves my love for him more. That he is my child. He was with a friend, but did I get mad at his friend? No, I did not. He's not my child. No matter what he does, I will always love him. That was proven when I ran outside in my pajamas calling and screaming his name because I thought something had happened to him. But Christ moves this concept further When he says, I will love you to the uttermost, even if you come home late, (laughs) even if you do the worst things, even if you are so struggling with certain sins that you are going to constantly, I will love you to the uttermost. I live now to make intercession for that. To connect your heart with the Father. So there's nothing that you can do, as Romans reminds us, that will ever separate you from my love. Nothing. To the uttermost. Those of us with an honest introspection of our hearts understand this. Because we are to the uttermost sinners. We need a to the uttermost Savior. Christ doesn't merely help us. He saves us. This may seem obvious to those who've maybe been walking with Christ for a long time. Of course Jesus saves me. But consider how our hearts work. Do we not find within ourselves an unceasing, low-grade impulse to strengthen his saving work through our own contributions? We tend to operate as if Hebrews 7.25 says, he is able to save us for the most part, those who draw near to him. But salvation of Christ, what he brings is panteles. It's comprehensive. It's to the uttermost. In the flow of thought in Hebrews 7, there appears to be a special focus on the time aspects of salvation. Because Jesus holds his priesthood permanently, it says. 
and continues forever, it says in in verse 24. Unlike previous priests who all died, Christ is able to save to the uttermost because of that time thing that he's talking about, this eternality of Christ. Now, have you guys ever driven your car on empty with the gas light on? No, I've never done that. Liars. I do this all the time, but I've never run, actually run out of gas. Aren't I great? We have been close, very, very close, mind you, scrambling for those gas stations for fear of being stranded somewhere. But we've never actually run out of gas. I've heard it's horrible. But our presence in God's favor and family will never sputter and die like an engine running out of gas. There's no gaslight on for you. There's no emptiness to Christ's heart and his fullness for you. There's nothing that you can do that would empty his heart for you. Our presence needs to be understood that we are in union with Christ as our head, and we are his body. We, have, we tend to have some po- small pocket of our life where we have difficulty believing the forgiveness of God for ourselves and how far it actually reaches. Because we don't treat other people like that. The most difficult prayer to pray is, Lord, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Because we have a tendency to judge people. If I were God, we say. And we say we ourselves are totally forgiven. We may even sing worship songs about it. And we sincerely believe that our sins are forgiven pretty much anyway. But there's that one deep, dark part of our lives, even our present lives, that seems so intractable, so ugly, so beyond recovery. This phrase, (laughs) to the uttermost in Hebrews 7.25 means God forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch, reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls. Those places where we are most ashamed most defeated. And more than this, those crevices of sin are themselves where Christ loves us the most. It's what he died to save. It evokes his love for us, not his wrath. When my children make mistakes, sure I discipline them. But why? Because I love them more than anything. His heart is most strongly drawn to us in the midst of our need. He knows us to the uttermost. He saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us to the uttermost. We cannot sin our way out of his tender care. But how do we know? The text tells us he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ's heavenly intercession is the reason we know that he will save us to the uttermost. And here's what this means. The divine son never, and I mean never, ever ceases to bring his atoning life, death, resurrection before the Father in a moment-by-moment way for you and I. Christ, quote, turns the Father's eyes to his own righteousness, wrote John Calvin. 
to avert his gaze from our sins. He so reconciles the Father's heart to us that by his intercession he prepares a way and access for us to the Father's throne. Do we realize what that means? This is the explicit acknowledgement that we as Christians are ongoing sinners. Christ continues to intercede for us on a moment-by-moment basis on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail here on earth. He's not surprised by our wickedness. It doesn't mean we are lazy in that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say, oh yeah, you love me, thanks. Let me go live my life. That's never the response of a child who loves their parents. He doesn't forgive us, though, through his work on the cross and then hope that we make it the rest of the way. Picture a glider pulled up in the sky by an airplane soon to be released to float down to earth. We are that glider and Christ is that plane, but he never lets us go. He never disengages. He never merely wishes us well, hoping that we can glide the rest of the way to heaven. He carries us the entire way. You know, there's that that, uh, poem, Footprints in the Sand. That's such a wrong poem theologically, by the way. I apologize if any of you guys, I don't want to speak too heavy-handedly. He's carried us the entire way. There's one set of footprints. It's his. One way to think of, of Christ's intercession is simply this. Jesus is praying for you right now. He is interceding for you right now. As you're falling asleep, he's praying for you right now. Louis Burkhoff wrote this. It's a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us even when we are neglect in our own prayer life. Our prayer life may stink. But what if you heard Jesus praying for you in the other room? Like mentioning your name. I think there would be few things in our life that would calm us more than that thought. The doctrine of the present heavenly intercession of Christ is neglected today, and that is too bad because it is a consoling truth that flows from the very heart of God through Christ. Whereas the doctrine of the atonement reassures us with what Christ has done in the past, the doctrine of intercession reassures us of what he is doing in the present right now. If you are in Christ you have an intercessor, a present-day mediator, one who is happily celebrating with his Father the abundant reason for both to embrace us into their deepest heart. Richard Sibbs wrote, What a comfort it is now in our daily approach to God to minister boldness to us in our suits, that we go to God in the name of the one he loves, in whom his soul delights, that we have found a friend in court, a friend in heaven for us that is at the right hand of God and interposes himself there for us in all our suits that makes us acceptable, that perfumes our prayers and makes them acceptable. Be sure, therefore, in all our suits to God to take along our elder brother. God looks upon us lovely in him and delight in us as we are members of him. Psalm 139, 4-12 For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light before, about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Our sinning may go to the uttermost, but his saving goes to the uttermost as well. And his saving always outpaces and overwhelms our sinning because he always lives to intercede for us to the uttermost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good and gracious to us. I mean, just saying that is not enough. Thank you for redeeming us, for loving us, and now for interceding for us on a moment-by-moment basis. Help us, Lord, to understand that more fully. Help us to feel your embrace, that you intercede for us to the heart of the Father. We bless you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and comfort us in the midst of our trials and the midst of our good times, that you would protect our heart and help us to keep our heart. Always, Lord, keep us from having too high of a view of ourselves. Help us to have the highest view possible of you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.